all, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are, as always, your host, Atlas, and we are ever joyful and grateful that you could join us today, as always, on a very special day, a day which among the secular and the what we might call the normies or the muggles or however you wish to refer to the general populace those who have not yet found their path of initiation today at least in north america we celebrate mother's day and on this day it seemed appropriate to well it seemed appropriate to follow the serendipitous arrival of a quotation which we put in the post for today's live stream and that quotation was by manly palmer hall related to preparation and being prepared. As we all know, the path is not easy. The path is difficult. And one should not embark on a difficult journey without being prepared in some way so manly p hall says the first step in the study of ancient wisdom and we can share this we're reading up here the first step in the study of ancient wisdom teachings is not the quest of knowledge but the preparation of self to receive knowledge this is where most truth seekers make their first mistake. With their eyes turned toward the heavens, they rush ecstatically towards illumination, only to stumble, like Talus, into the ditch of their own unpreparedness. We know thousands of people who want to be wise, but very few of these people seem capable of understanding that before wisdom, must come the capacity for wisdom. Illumination is only possible in an organism that has fitted itself for illumination. Nor does one so fit himself by hoping, wishing, or listening. As an athlete must train himself in order to excel in bodily prowess, so the student of philosophy must put his thoughts, emotions, and actions under specialized discipline if he is to develop philosophical strength. And by way of a quotation, we can say all that is well and good, or that is all well and good. But practically speaking, what exactly is Manly P. Hall? 
talking about here. How does one fit oneself for illumination? And isn't it enough to begin listening to live streams, reading articles, reading books, listening to lectures, partaking in whole online courses related to the path, related to Gnosis or Buddhism or whatever spiritual tradition we are following and we are seeking to deliver us the wisdom that we seek. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to have the longing in one's heart for knowledge, for wisdom, for illumination, for enlightenment? Surely all of those millions upon millions of new age followers and believers, all of those light workers and light warriors surely they are prepared for illumination are they not they declare themselves all gods they declare themselves one with the universe surely they are prepared to receive knowledge and yet they do not and the harsh reality if we are honest with ourselves we if we know ourselves if we observe ourselves with objective conscious awareness then we will realize we do not receive much in the way of illumination. Why is that? And all those new agers do not receive knowledge, do not receive wisdom. Why is that? This humanity is is immersed in suffering inundated with the fires of hell with of, of psychological hell enslaved to all manner of subjectivity and to desire itself this planet is a prison in so many ways surely the merciful light of love would be bestowing upon this humanity the light of truth, of wisdom, of love, of clarity, of illumination, of enlightenment. And yet, it is not. It does not. And so it is worthwhile asking ourselves, why, why do we not receive such illumination? 
is it really so that the light of love of objective truth of gnosis is not bestowing that wisdom upon us at all times can we honestly say that our innermost being and our divine mother has abandoned us has forsaken us and has forsaken the whole of this humanity or could it be however difficult that is to hear that the words of manly p hall which we read at the outset are true and that the reason we do not receive illumination is because we have not prepared ourselves to receive it we have not created the internal conditions within our own psyche to be able to receive it now in a very crude and simplistic way you can imagine a radio station which is playing its music or it's giving its talk its talk shows talk radio and it is broadcasting all day all night 24 hours a day seven days a week and it is we who have not tuned into that frequency we have not tuned into that radio station and that's one aspect in a very crude simplistic analogy we have not attuned ourselves brought ourselves into alignment into the frequency to be able to receive that signal that broadcast and so we hear static but there's more to it than that that's an oversimplification the fact of the matter is is we are listening to other radio stations local radio stations and many of them simultaneously our own egos our own mind we're listening to the voices in our head the voices of desire and the voice which pretends to be our higher self because that voice also exists that is the voice of the false self the voice of the I the amalgamation our individual shaitan which is an amalgamation of all of our individual egos which presents itself to us always as I I am this I am that I can manifest my desires I can manifest positivity into my life I create my reality I am pure abundance I am pure love I am pure mercy I am total compassion I I I I I these are what, what are called affirmations but if what you are affirming is I you must ask yourself where do these affirmations come from and if you read them from a book or you read them from a Facebook post or from a YouTube video 
or from some new age guru's course and how to self-actualize and how to manifest all of your desires. Have you, are those affirmations? Are those examples of illumination? Are those affirmations knowledge? Are those affirmations wisdom? What about that which you read in books or that which you listen to here in live streams like this or on Gloria.org or right any of the Gnostic schools? You can you can attend lectures and you can read the books of Samael and Weor. Is that not wisdom? Is that not knowledge? Are you not receiving wisdom and knowledge? Are you not receiving illumination? as you listen to those courses and as you read the books? What does it mean to be prepared to receive? Are you not attuning yourself to the radio station just by attending those courses and just by buying those books? or borrowing those books from someone and reading those books is not the desire for knowledge, the desire for illumination. Is that not attenuating yourself to the frequency required to receive illumination? Is the desire not enough? If any of you are mothers on this day, we would like to extend to you our warmest, deepest gratitude and appreciation and well wishes. But also, we would invite you to dig deep within yourself and identify the care which you have for your children and your family. <clears throat> and if you peel back the layers of that caring of that love do you find at its core anything which you would describe as a desire in other words surely you want what's best for your children you want your children to be safe you want your family to be secure you want of course a certain degree of material comfort and security for them, if not outright material affluence, abundance, whatever word you wish to use. Of course, you can probably identify many such desires 
floating around the periphery. And you will justify and rationalize every single one of those desires on the basis of you being a mother and you loving your children, your family, deeply. And be willing to give of yourself and sacrifice yourself for them. So we are not referring to those superficial desires, but we are looking to penetrate deep into that love, that motherly love. And at the core of that passion for family, for, for your children as a mother, is the core of that passion a desire? Can you articulate it as a desire? Does a mother say, I am a mother and I define my motherhood on the basis of the, that I want blank? In a flippant way, many people have said, because I want what's best for my children. That makes me a good mother. I want what's best for my children. And in a crude way, you can describe it that way. You can speak those words. But we are asking you to penetrate into what is behind those words. And is it really a desire? And this is where discernment comes into play as we walk the path or as we prepare to walk the path. The discernment between what is a desire and what is a longing, a deeply felt longing within. And what is the subtle yet supremely significant difference between a desire and a deeply felt longing? And do we know? This is as good as time as any for... Um, any of you who wish to jump on the live stream or wish to um, field a comment in the chat. What's the difference between a desire and a longing? And specifically, the difference between the, a desire for illumination and the longing for illumination, the desire for knowledge and the longing for knowledge. And have we ever even asked ourselves this self this question? Has anyone 
ever posed this question to us? And has ever, anyone ever brought up the point that this is an important question to know the answer to? We are all ears, if anybody wishes to share, or if anybody wants to jump on the live stream, by all means, please do. The answer, of course, let's, let's stick for, just for a moment to the theme of Mother's Day. Far too many young women. Ah, we were pleasantly interrupted by Leila Santos, who says, desire implies karma. Longing is the natural flow of wisdom that will lead to illumination. So desire is not natural. The desire to have children, the, the desire to procreate, the desire to have sex, that's not natural. Animals do not feel that desire. Is it karma that animals have that makes them procreate? Do men and women procreate through karma? We know where you're coming from. We understand. We understand the spirit of your comment, Layla, because desire is a manifestation of karma, because egos are a manifestation of karma. And that is true for many of the desires that we experience. But egos work for mechanical nature. So in many ways, everything that egos desire are, is natural. To some to one degree or another this is what's very uh, oh Layla says comma not karma well we thought it was a typo okay what do you mean by comma all right we apologize all right then desire implies comma what do you mean by comma because we're not familiar with the term We thought it was a typo, so that's our our apologies. We didn't get that. But you have to explain to us what comma is. Because at this moment, we don't know what you mean. Desire implies comma. In any case, the point of our response is that desire does belong to the natural flow of wisdom but that flow of wisdom as it applies to mechanical nature desire is perfectly natural to intellectual animals and it's perfectly natural to animals so on that point that's the the real point that we were making your use of the word uh natural so longing you say is also natural but so if desire is natural and longing is natural, how do you distinguish between the two? So you're saying that desire implies comma. So you'll have to, or we can do a quick Google search to see what you meant by comma. 
oh, comma, according to Wikipedia, comma means desire, wish, or longing. So it doesn't uh, help. That, that definition doesn't help. Comma often connotes sensual pleasure, sexual desire, and longing, both in religious and secular Hindu and Buddhist literature, as well as in contemporary Indian literature. But the concept more broadly refers to any desire, wish, passion, longing, pleasure of the senses, desire for, longing to. And so, so again, the issue here is that, as you can see, uh, Wikipedia here, we can share the screen. Uh, Wikipedia uh, has a definition of comma, which lumps desire and longing into the same definition desire wish and longing they make no differentiation between the two and that's not by accident that's that's the ego mind's way of failing of of deliberately blurring the lines which separate a desire from a longing so we are going to for the sake of uh brevity here and for the sake of um moving the topic forward desire comes from the false self desire comes from ego the desires that you have that you believe are your desires are only because you are identified with them and with the egos, the underlying egos that produce them. That's what desire is. A longing is what is given to you by your innermost being. Egos desire. Your being has longing, the longing to self-realize, the longing to self-actualize, the longing to fulfill one's destiny. That longing can only be realized by overcoming desire. So though longing and desire are related, one comes from the false self, one comes from the true self. That's the difference. So, again, in a horrible uh, expression in English, we can say, um, what's the, how does the expression go? My, my heart's... The deepest desire of my heart of hearts or something like that. There's an expression in English where my heart's desire or such such thing. It's the Black Lodge always convolutes and mixes language up on purpose to, to create confusion and to muddy the waters. Because as far as the Black Lodge is concerned, they want people to confuse longing with desire.
but when you really feel into longing and desire and they're able to feel the difference between the two then that is in a very practical way an exercise of discernment where you are feeling the difference between your false self your shaitan the adversary and the desires that the adversary wants to hypnotize us with and and being able to connect with and feel the presence the influence and the longing of our innermost true self our higher self our innermost beloved that longing is given to us and on the path that longing almost invariably includes packaged along with it the longing for knowledge the longing for illumination for self-realization And that's the difference between longing and desire. It's that simple. Desires of the false self, longing is of the, the innermost, the true self. Now, longing can be very powerful. Longing is a is a is a pull. Desire is a push again very practically speaking now this is an exercise in discernment an exercise in self-observation and self-knowledge observe the difference between the push of desire versus the pull of a longing the longing for knowledge the longing to self-actualize the longing to fulfill one's destiny versus the 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 push towards uh uh sugar or cheesecake or fancy cars or money or fame or fortune it's a push it's a drive often you'll hear success coaches and life coaches talk about what drives you what motivates you they're talking about what pushes you and certainly desire as we know is a double-edged sword it's craving and aversion so of course what can is able to get you up in the middle of the night and go to that 24-hour bakery is a it's pushing you up out of your sleep out of your slumber pushing you outside to go and fulfill some sort of desire but that push is also capable of pushing you back and of holding you back of forcing you to avoid something that it doesn't want an aversion to something an aversion to seeing your your ex-husband or your ex-wife 
Oh God, no, I can't handle this. I can't. No, no, no. Don't let her see me. Just pushing things away. Desire is like that. It's pushing things away or it's pushing us towards. It's pushing us into something. Longing is more of a pull. It's more of a, a beckoning. This way. It's a whisper. It's a still soft voice beckoning, beckoning to us, whispering to us. Pay attention. No, no, this way. Come, come with me. Follow me. This way. Come on. Follow me. Because free will is an absolute law of the universe, which not even the gods will violate, which not even our innermost being will violate. So Layla says, longing is a natural flow, gentle. Yes, it's natural, but natural in the sense of divine nature. In other words, it's natural to our divine mother. Because she is the one who, well, she is the one who is able to manipulate circumstances that such, such that we are encouraged to move into the flow. Because our Divine Mother is the one who's orchestrating that flow for us. But remember that our Divine Mother gives us everything we need on this journey, including all of our tests, trials, and ordeals. Which means that all of the obstacles, in fact, the adversary itself, and all that stimulates the adversary, and all that causes the adversary to well up inside of us, and the egos to become emboldened and empowered, and to push us this way and that way, and try to push us out of the flow. That is also our Divine Mother. Because she is nature. And yes, there's a flow to divine nature, but there's also a flow to mechanical nature. And those two flows, they do meet here in the, in the world of Malkuth, in the world of action. But then they diverge again as these two as these two circulating cycles of evolution and devolution. And as we have shared many, many, many times, uh, we have articulated this in the in the visualization which of course for some reason everything has been put out of order on our computer so we will sort by okay date uh, 
Oh, there it is. So we have shared this many times, showing the flow of divine nature and the flow of mechanical nature. And where the two meet, they meet here in Malkut, the physical world. And we liken this to the cycle of water and how on the surface of water, as water is being beckoned and pulled into the atmosphere by the sun, by the, the heat and the light of the sun, the water molecules are being pulled to the surface and they're being beckoned to break free of their liquid form and become ethereal, if you will, to become one with the heavens and rise up into the clouds. And where that limit of their physicality, of their liquid state, upon that limit, this border known as water tension is created. It is a thin film of water molecules that is that are so tightly packed where the forces of liquid water trying to bind them and hold them down to that liquid physical state and the light is trying to liberate them free them from that physical state and upon that point of action that field of action begets this 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 water tension that's the nature of malkut that's the that's the nature of the world of action that's the nature of the world that we live in this is the te- this is the the tension the stress the push pull between divine nature and mechanical nature and the encouragement of our divine mother the whispering and the coaxing and the pull the longing to break free from physical reality and the push of desire and of ego and a mechanical nature that 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 causes the tension and stress because that's a weight that's a burden that pushes down on us and we feel it like a weight we feel it like a burden and it's not by accident it's in no way shape or form is it an accident that the word enlightenment has a twofold meaning it means to enlighten it means to illuminate with light but it literally also means to lighten one's load to release the burdens to liberate oneself from all of that downward pressure and that downward force all of that weight that we are carrying on our shoulders and on our back that that keeps us landlocked to this physical reality and those are our desires those are our egos
this little exercise in discernment, in practical mysticism, in practical esotericism, is an example of preparing oneself for knowledge, preparing oneself for illumination. Because if you, if, if we do not know the difference between desire and longing, and if we cannot tell the difference between the two, how do we know that our foray into the, into the path and our quest for knowledge is coming from our higher self? Perhaps we are just curious. Perhaps we are power hungry. Perhaps we have tremendous mystic pride and we desire the knowledge to be able to show off to others how knowledgeable we are, how spiritual we are, because we can quote this author or that author, or we can rhyme off you know, all of the Upanishads off by heart, or, you know, we've read all of Manly Palmer Hall's books, or all of Gurdjieff's books, or all of Master Samael's books, and we can quote him verbatim whenever somebody asks us a question. Or we've, or we've memorized the Kabelian or the other Hermetic books, or you name it. There are countless intellectuals who have read all of these books and all of the scriptures and all of uh, entire libraries worth of esoteric wisdom. But they are no closer to illumination. And they have not received any genuine knowledge. Because their pursuit is entirely egoic. It's all based on desire. It's a desire to know. It's, de it's a desire to have the answers. I want the answers. I want the answers. I want to know. I, 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 I. And when they read the books and they think they have, they've gotten the answer, They close the book, they check a box, and they move on to the next thing. It's like an intellectual bucket list. Or they will sit there and they will use their intellect to decipher what they're reading. And they will bring to it a whole bunch of preconceived notions and all bunch of subjective understanding and opinion and interpretation and interpolation and decide that they have decoded this or that scripture. One who suffers from that is, well, there are many who suffer from that, but one public figure who suffers from that is Jordan Peterson. Because for all of his intellect and for all of his training and for all of his study, 
the true nature and essence of the logos eludes him. It, it eludes him and it breaks his heart. It practically tears him up from the inside. And every time someone comes up to him to thank him for his books and his lectures and how uh, his work has, quote, saved their life, he breaks down in tears and he wants to start to cry because, of course, he knows deep down that he's not deserving of these accolades and he's not deserving of the, that, that, that praise. But he doesn't know who is. He doesn't know what is. And he doesn't know really, truly how he fits into the schema of all of that, of that process. And so he feels ashamed. He feels a kind of self-loathing in that moment where I'm not worthy to, who, who the hell am I to be being thanked for saving somebody's life? But he cannot discern and he cannot tell you why he did what he did and why he does what he does. He can tell you from on a surface level that, yeah, because I want and because I believe, but he cannot articulate the deep longing that he feels. Even though intellectually, he can connect the dots of his various different intuitions and create an intellectual narrative on the surface that deals with belief and desire and this and that and the other thing. And he can and even uses the word logos in an intellectual philosophical sense, but he hasn't experienced it. And what makes him break down and cry is a hard truth that he's facing in that moment. And there's a terrible juxtaposition and a terrible reality where you have a persona and an ego intellect, which has spent the better part of its life building itself up. facing off against an individuated essence of the Logos, whose deepest longing is to see that ego intellect torn down. Benjamin says, in order to avoid the pitfall of pride as a motive for attaining knowledge and wisdom, radical humility is also needed as preparation. We must have the humility of a child. Benjamin, we thank you from the bottom of our heart with the deepest, with the deepest earnestness because this is why we invite people to come on the live stream and this is why we share the link and this is why we invite you to make comments in the chat because this is precisely correct this is exactly where we were heading with our jordan peterson story because if you go searching 
for knowledge from a place of pride, from a place of I, I want to know, I'm going to find out, I'm going to be the knowledgeable one, I'm going to be the wise one. I am going to read all the books that I can, and I am going to interpret all the scriptures that I can, and I am going to put my lectures on the internet, and I am going to write books, and I am going to help people get these young people, get their life in order, and I am going to be a proxy, the, the, the male role model in all these young people's lives that they didn't get from their father, or didn't get from their single mothers, or didn't get from the state and their, their uh, uh, woke school system. I am going to do all this. I, 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 I. And then when somebody comes and confronts us with the harsh light of truth, with the fire of the fire and the light of lights of the cosmic Christ speaking from the depths of their being, from the depths of their soul. These are monads that are coming up to Jordan Peterson to thank him. And in those moments, he feels his individuated essence of the Christ, his individuated essence of the Logos, his higher self, his true self, stand up to receive the accolades which, which belong to it, which belong to him. It is monad. Then Jordan Peterson, in, the, in that precise moment, feels and discovers just how small and insignificant he is. And he, and, and he, he be, be, in a meeting, of two monads. You see, the person that comes up to thank Jordan Peterson for saving his life, he already is utterly humiliated. He has no pride. He has no, he's all, he has already been in the gutter, down and out. And he's, and he's had to swallow his pride just to be able to walk up to Jordan Peterson, the man, and thank him because he's basically in that moment making an admission that I was a loser. I was a nobody. I was a washout. I was a has-been. I, I was a complete failure. failure. Failure to launch, failure to succeed, failure to whatever. And your guidance, your wisdom, your 12 rules for life, your whatever it was, your words, Jordan, gave me light and hope and strength and, and, and helped turn my life around, helped me turn my life around, showed me to turn my life around. But these are, these are, these are, that's just a messenger. That's just a vessel expressing the true gratitude coming from a monad speaking to another monad. But you see, Jordan Peterson is the thinks the one that he's doing it. But in those moments, He's faced with the stark reality that he isn't. And in those moments, he feels the touch of the Logos itself 
as these two monads, these two essences of the logos meet and there's a spark. And that spark is like a, a combustion spark of pure energy, of pure light, of pure love. And no mortal, no mortal can withstand that the resplendence of that. You'd have to be so utterly callous, so utterly emotionless, completely devoid of all feeling, empathy, compassion, completely devoid of, of you know, not to be moved to tears in such a moment. And that's why Jordan Peterson can't even relay, he can't even talk about these experiences without breaking down. But that's why, the reason why he's he's breaking down in part because it's so beautiful, but he's breaking down in part because he says, who the hell am I? What the hell am I doing? Who the hell am I to be receiving these accolades, to be, to be on the receiving end of this gratitude? Because he isn't the one on the receiving end of the gratitude. Any more than you would thank the postman for the contents of a letter that he brought you. And you might thank the postman. Thank you for delivering this, this message to me. This, this letter, this, this saved my life. But the postman, if he's wise, will say, oh, you know what? I was just doing my job. I was just doing my job. I was just delivering a message. But I was not the originator of that message. Yes. Jordan Peterson gets humiliated in those moments. He's, he gets he, he, he is humbled in those moments. And surely all of this is part of his path and part of his growing and part of his learning that he needs to go through. Because he has not, he has not yet prepared himself to receive. He's not yet prepared himself to know. Because in many ways his cup is full. Which brings us what, to what radical humility allows us to do. To be humbled, to be humiliated, is to take all that you are and all that you believe yourself to be and all that you own and all that you carry with you, and all of your identifications and attachments, and spill them. Spill them out onto the rug. Pour them out onto the floor. Empty your cup. You see, because, because hubris 
pride is puffed up. Hello, Azazel. Greetings. Greetings. Glad you could be here. The uh, the link uh, is here, we believe. Here. If you want to pop on. Uh, hubris, pride, is that feeling of being puffed up. Yeah? Even, you know, people say, you know, walk tall, thrust your chest out, suck in that gut, good posture, walk tall, right? The way they have soldiers stand with pride, with nationalism and all that, all of that stuff. To, to make yourself bigger, larger than life, to have the, your presence, your stage presence. You know, those people, they walk into a room and they fill the room and everybody in the room just looks at them. like a peacock, like a who knows what. Puffing yourself up. Humility is the opposite of that. It's, just, it's willfully, consciously deflating yourself. Now, does that mean you walk around with a bad posture and a rolled back and a curled back? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. But it also means that you don't walk around like you're God's gift to humanity. You may be, but you realize that you're just, that's just your job. That's just your, your, you are a servant to observe servants. Servants stand, stand up straight. They have excellent posture. They have excellent speech, but servants know they know their place. And a servant's master may be a egotistical, proud, puffed up, you know, who knows what. That servant will just remain in the background and indifferent proper, correct, and humble, but not a slouch, humble, but not defeated, humiliated, but not trampled on. But when you pour out that cup, you set the cup back on the table, you realize the cup hasn't changed. It still stands up straight. It still has the same shape. Only the difference is it's empty. And when you, when you make of yourself an empty cup, What can an empty cup do which a full cup cannot do?
What can an empty cup do which a full cup cannot do? What is the very point and title of today's live stream? That we even chose to bring this topic up. And the inspiration, that quote from Manly P. Hall. Well, an empty cup doesn't spill. Well, that's something that an empty cup cannot do, which a full cup can, because a full cup can spill. An empty cup cannot spill because it doesn't have anything to spill. So what can an empty cup do? Be practical. And Benjamin says, an empty cup is more useful because it can hold something in it. An empty cup can receive. An empty cup can receive. And a full cup cannot. And if you're using your conscious imagination to envision yourself as a servant at a table and you have, you're the sommelier and you have the bottle of wine. As Layla says, empty can do nothing and that way there's no resistance, right? It can receive. There's, there's nothing in the cup to resist. There's nothing in the cup to push back. So if you envision yourself using your conscious visualization and you are a servant at a table and you have the bottle of wine and you're walking around the table and what is your job as a sommelier? Your job is to make sure that everybody's glass is always full. So what are you looking for? You're looking for empty cups. You're looking for empty glasses, empty goblets that you can top up with wine. And when you pass someone's glass and their, their glass is full, you don't pour in that glass. Simple. This is by far, by far and away, the most basic, the most simple, the most logical, and the most practical way to prepare oneself to receive illumination. It's empty your cup. So now, all of a sudden, just use your imagination and visualize these so-called spiritual seekers and these light workers and these rainbow warriors who spend their time and energy practicing affirmations, trying to practice attracting abundance and attracting love and attracting all of the, my desires and manifesting my desires. And they spend their time and energy with affirmations. I am this, I am that, I am perfect abundance. I am unlimited this, I am unlimited that. What are they doing? They're filling their cup. They're filling their cup. And what are they filling their cup with? Desire. With ego. 
They are like someone standing underneath a soda fountain with their wine glass. And have you ever gone to a soda fountain, the one that you fill yourself? You push in and just... No. Someone, there's the servant with the bottle of wine, wait, looking for an empty cup to fill up with the perfect wine. But this person is at the soda fountain and has their wine glass under the soda fountain. How can the servant pour wine into that glass if that servant is preoccupied putting it under the soda fountain? They seem to be worrying about a lot of things by wishing so much, by desiring and by... Uh, well, worry is another worry, fear. Worry is fear. And they, they fear is also a dual-sided... Well, fear has many, many, many faces, which you know we've talked about some of them. But the big, the big uh, face monstrosity of fear in our life is often this desire to control and that's what this desire for affirmations and manifesting desires and creating your own reality and blah 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 it's all black magic and it's all control based that's all fear based the desire to control outcomes is fear why and we're going to use a word that Layla has said said many times and that is the flow Because your divine mother has planned for you already the, everything that you need to flow into your life at the right place at the right time. And it is your fear which resists that. And it's your fear that is afraid of that flow, of those outcomes and temporary outcomes, those milestones along, along the river of your life so it wants to control and reshape the river and reshape the flow and it wants to make a tsunami of things and money and lovers and god only knows what abundance right flowing into that flow so it wants to have control over that flow because it's a failure to have faith fear is the opposite and antithesis of faith because faith denotes trust and faith as we know as gnostics denotes knowledge but true knowledge gnosis self-evident experiential knowledge the knowledge the deep down knowing and wisdom which is capable of creating the foundation of true faith, of trust, of trusting your innermost divine mother as a baby trusts her biological mother. A baby gives complete surrender to her biological mother because a baby recognizes that they are completely helpless without their mother. We, 
when we know ourselves, when we observe ourselves, and when we pay attention to the miracles and the serendipities that our Divine Mother has orchestrated for us. In other words, when we embrace and align with, when we tune into the flow of our life, and we empty our cup, and we allow that flow to flow into our cup. It's a very interesting way to adjust your conscious imagination. Where the flow, you because relativity, if you imagine yourself in a canoe going down the, the river, going with the flow of the river, that's one thing. But if you imagine like a camera on your on your on your helmet on the kayak and you and you observe from that reference point now you see that it is not you who is going down the river it is the river that is flowing past you the flow comes and it goes the flow comes into you and through you and out of you You don't move. You are stationary. And the world revolves around you. And the, and the flow comes and goes through you. You are entirely at its mercy. And when you are an empty cup, you allow it to flow into you. And then you let it go just as, just as easily, just as quickly. Because you want to make room, want to make space for what is continuing continuing to flow continually coming continually flowing through through and through your life moment to moment to moment to moment so test trial ordeal yes it was a test did i fail did i pass who knows it's gone it's over go to the next thing no resistance to the flow layla says it's the it's 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 the flow but fear, fear gets in the way. Fear will create the resistance. And the desire to control will create the resistance. Because the fear and the desire to control leads these people to manifest and want to fill their life. So when they're going down, the, when, they're go, go, when they're trying in the flow of their life, they want this to come along and that to come along and pick it up and put it into their boat. But this is very much, very much, we are the humility and the emptiness, the allowing, the acceptance, the allowing of things to be, just things to be as they are. It is what it is, and that is all. It is what it is. Just allow it. Let it be. When you let it be, right, like the Beatles song, when you allow things just to be what they are, it is what it is, you attune yourself 
to that place of allowing, that empty cupness that is willing to receive, that is willing to be. When you allow things, when you, when you respond to things, good or bad, it is what it is. then you have a higher chance, higher likelihood of being in a place aligned with, I am what I am. Aheye Asher Aheye, the holy name of God. To be, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by avoiding end them. To suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, that's the flow. That's the flow. Anybody who has ever gotten into a kayak and shot the rapids on a river, we have many in Canada. We uh, we went and uh, did uh, whitewater kayaking on the Ottawa River. We even went over this thing called the Dragon's Tongue. Uh, it, it's, it's where the where the rocks in the river go together like this, and the water all gets pushed through this very narrow gap, and then it shoots you out, like it just like rockets you, propels you out thirty feet in the air. Um, Anybody who's ever gone whitewater kayaking knows that you have to go with the flow. You have to go with the flow. You have some ability to control a maneuver, and yet you have to take, there have to be points where you pause, and you have to look out ahead and see what you're, what you're going to do. But you, at the end, you have to, you can't fight the river. You can't fight the flow. And it's scary. It was scary the first ever first time we ever went whitewater kayaking, and we did one of the most difficult rivers in all of Canada. It was scary. We won't lie to you. We were scared. We were looking at. We were. This is the first time ever we were in a kayak, a whitewater kayak, and we were surrounded by people who had been kayaking for 10, 20, 30 years. And they were like, "Oh yeah, this is your first time." It's a bit strange for you to be on this river your first time. But we went with it. We went with the flow. And we overcome our we overcame our fears that day, even if we didn't overcome our deficiencies in kayaking, because we didn't. We weren't by no means where we were where we an expert kayaker by the day's end. Uh, we survived. By the grace of our divine mother alone is probably more accurate but the the point of the story is things happen and they are only 
It is only our resistance and it is only our judgments and our subjective interpretations and our processing of circumstances through ego, which makes them scary or which makes them bad or frustrating or whatever the case may be. And that's by design. That's by design to pull these egos up to the surface. And it's all right to feel that resistance, to feel the sources and causes of that resistance inside of us. It is good to see those causes of that resistance, the causes of, of that which would fill our cup. And whenever we feel our cup is being filled by ego, and we look at it, we comprehend it, we acknowledge it, we allow it, we don't have to beat ourselves up over it, we don't resist it, we don't suppress it. If, if our cup is filled with ego, we take it, we put it in our mouth, we swish it around, we get its flavor, we get a good long taste of it, we get its flavor. Just what is this thing that's filling my cup? And then we spit it out. We spew it out. That's transformation. That's transformation of impressions. That's self-observation. We're observing ourselves. We're watching our cup being filled with some garbage, some, so, some sugar water, some soda pop, some whiskey or some God only knows what it is, some poison, but we don't really know what it is. And you can't, you can't know what it is just by looking at it. You can smell it. You can do all kinds of stuff to it, but you don't really know. So you take it and you, you get a taste of it. You swish it around your mouth and then you spit it out. And now, you know, something which tends to fill your cup, which is poisonous, poison, and which prevents your cup from receiving the true wine. You can't, you cannot do this, this function. You cannot perform this with, with fear and with anxiety and with a, a greed for knowledge with an insatiable curiosity which you are desperate to satiate so you will fill your cup with volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of esoteric books but then you wonder why you do not receive Preparation, then, is emptying and 
observing, watching, and watching for the various sources that want to fill the, our cup and resist the flow. And the discernment between the two, the discernment between desire and longing. And the shift from pride, I am the one, to humility, I am nothing. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a servant. I'm a vessel and I'm a servant who, if I show loyalty and integrity and preparedness, I may be chosen to become a messenger. I may be given a message to deliver. At the very least, only the most dedicated and devoted, conscientious and loyal and trustworthy and reliable servants are invited into the inner circle of the master. All of us have a master. All of us have our true master inside. And are we a good and loyal and trustworthy and reliable and humble and dedicated servant? Because if we are not, how do we expect to be invited into the inner circle? How are, we, how are we to expect to receive from our innermost master assignments of great importance, messages of great significance, access to secrets, access to great knowledge, access to the family tree or the family fortune or to the secret cache of family wisdom that is the birthright of everyone in the master's inner circle. We will remain an outsider because we will be unreliable and untrustworthy. And the reason why we're unreliable and untrustworthy is because our cup is full. Because we think too highly of ourselves and because we think we deserve it. And we think that it's our birthright. It's my birthright. I want to know. I, the servant, want to get my grubby hands on all the secrets. Well, nobody with that kind of attitude is going to be given anything of value to, to oversee. It's just logical. Put yourself in the shoes of the master. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who is the sole guardian 
of a family fortune which stretches back generations. And in your hands, not only is it all the wealth, but how about the legacy of the family itself? How about your children, your bloodline, you're the family line, those who will be entrusted with carrying on the family name and, and being the caretakers of the family fortune in the future. They are your children. Now, your children, which of the servants are you going to allow to look after your children, your most precious family uh, treasures? They're your children. They're the bloodline. They're the future of the family itself, without whom there will be no family. In whose hands, in which of the servants' hands, are you going to place your children? Now comprehend that your innermost is that master. And your soul, your human soul, is that child. And the development and the growth, the nurturing, the raising, the upbringing of that human soul requires the help of a servant. Are you prepared to take on that responsibility? Are you prepared to raise that child? Are you prepared to nurture and protect and defend and nourish and educate that child, the child of your master, which is your human soul? And if you are not receiving the knowledge, the illumination, the wisdom, the family secrets, access to the inner family circle, if you are not receiving the resources and the assignment And the resources required to fulfill the assignment of raising that human soul and nurturing it and seeing it self-realized. Then you have more work to do on yourself, preparing yourself as a servant. Humility, loyalty, discipline, dedication, integrity, reliability, trust. It works both ways. Your innermost can hardly trust you if you do not trust your Divine Mother. 
The master can hardly uh, uh, trust you if you do not trust the master. Trust works both ways. Benjamin says, what you told us reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son, the one who gets his hands on his father's wealth. The other one is a good and faithful servant who in the end possessed all of his father's wealth. Now that parable has different meaning to me. Thank you. Well, thank you, Benjamin, for bringing up that parable, because that's exactly what that parable is about. The two, the two sons. One squanders the family fortune, and the other one is a good and faithful servant who ends up possessing all of his father's wealth. You can also look at Cain and Abel. You can also look at what we were talking about, the Northmen. You can look at Hamlet. You can look at any story anywhere where there is a kingdom and a king is dethroned by his brother or a king has two sons and the two sons are fighting for the kingdom. When you have two brothers and there's a kingdom involved, it's, it's always the same story. We're always talking about the innermost being and the kingdom of God and how the ego, the false self, shaitan, the adversary, is overthrowing the true king. And he squanders the kingdom in the process. Just look at, just look at the Lion King where Scar makes a pact with the hyenas, right? The, the legion of hyenas, the many, many, many egos, which at the same time are represented by three. Shanzi, Banzai, and Ed. Those are, the three, those are the three hyenas. But that's also the three murderers of Hiram Abif. It's also the three traitors of Jesus Christ. Judas, Caiaphas, and Pilate. They're also the three furies. They're also our three brains. Mind, heart, and body. Motor instinctive sexual center. So there's a legion of hyenas, but they're represented by three. Shanzi, Banzai, and Ed. And what happens? They take over Pride Rock. And they overrun it and they squander the kingdom. There's no more food. They turn it into a barren wasteland. That's what the ego does to the kingdom. Our kingdom, our earth in microcosm. And why? How was the ego able to do this? How was, how did Scar... Get away with it. Well, murdering Mufasa is one step. But um, it's Mufasa's son who's 
for some bizarre reason, his name is eluding me right now. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, We have such a bad memory for for names. Um, anyway, so he well, we can remember Timon and Pumbaa, <laughs> so that's a start. And uh, we're gonna pull it up here, Simba. That's it. Ah. <laughs> uh, So Simba goes off into the out of fear, right? Scar tells him, come back here. Or I'll, Scar tells the hyenas to, to 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 kill Simba. Scar tells Simba to run away. Run away, Simba, and never come back. And then he tells the, the hyenas to go kill him, which which they fail to do, but they say, Yeah, if you ever come back, we'll kill you. So Simba Simba is terrified, number one, and he's also ashamed because he thinks scar puts it into his head that that it's his fault it's because of him that that mufasa is dead which is in a way it's not entirely inaccurate but simba and uh and we know simba is in dereliction of his duty because nala goes out looking for him and Nala, Nala finds him. Well, or Nala is out looking for food anyway, and she happens to run into Simba. And, and then all of a sudden, she realizes that he's alive, and she says, well, you have to come back. And he says, no, 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 it's, it's, it's you know, Akuna Matata, right? It's no worries. It's not my problem. And so he's in dereliction of his duty. So Scar is able to continue his rule because Simba, who represents the human soul isn't is is has not been nurtured properly hasn't been raised properly well, who raised him timon and pumbaa raised him and timon and pumbaa they represent the the uh the mind and the emotions but also the personality and the physical body we might as well share this. We have it up on screen. There, we we we. Uh, this is our meme of uh, mapping uh, the Lion King on the Tree of Life, and we could easily do the same thing with the characters of the Norsemen. We could do the same thing with the characters from Hamlet, and to one degree or another, we could do the same thing with the characters from the scripture that Benjamin mentioned the of the prodigal son because in so many stories and fables and legends and myths you can take the characters and map them onto the tree of life as um elements of a single consciousness they're not they're not separate characters out there Right here's Star Wars, and um, here's Gladiator. And each time you will find that the hero is always the human soul. 
right? There's Luke, the, he's the hero. And around the hero are a group which, which help him, help him in restoring the kingdom or restoring peace and order to the galaxy in the case of Luke, Luke Skywalker. Or restoring Pride Rock in the case of Simba. So, when we look to, for example, the Lion King, and we realize something happens to Simba. He receives a sign or he receives some kind of encouragement. The encouragement that Simba receives, of course, is that meeting with Mufasa in the clouds. In fact, it's Rafiki who represents Gnosis, Da'at. That's Rafiki, the baboon. He's the shaman who comes and finds Simba and he, and he, and he coaxes, right? Remember, we said that the longing is a pull. Your destiny is a pull. It's calling to you. It's coaxing you. It's beckoning you. And Rafiki beckons Simba through the darkness into the pool of water. And he says, look into the pool. And Simba looks and he says, that's just my reflection. He says, no, 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 no. Look harder. And he looks into the pool and he sees Mufasa's face appear. And then, of course, the great dramatic moment when the clouds form and Mufasa appears in the night sky. And he says those fateful words to Simba. You have forgotten me. And Simba protests and says, no, 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 I haven't. I've never, I've never forgotten you. Says, and, and Mufasa, the spirit of Mufasa says, you have forgotten yourself. And so you have forgotten me. You must remember who you are. You are my son. And you are the rightful ruler of Pride Rock. You, know, you remem remember who you are. And then he goes, he returns to Timon and Tumba, uh, Timon and Pumba, and Nala is there. And they are his mind, his heart, his body, and his divine mother. Nala represents the Kundalini, the sexual force. She's the, the feminine force in his life. He is all, they are all that he has to work with in that moment. And they all have a they all have a, a a moment of clarity and a and a change of heart. And they said, Timon and Pumbaa says, if it's important to you, it's important to us. And the wisdom of that is is that this whole time, Simba was being raised by Timon and Pumbaa, but now, in a turning point, it's in fact. Timon and Pumbaa were just doing that because it was important. It was important for Simba. 
It says, if it's important to you, Simba, it's important to us. All of a sudden, there's that realization that my mind, my heart, my body are in service of my soul. That's, that's what's natural. That's what's right for a human being, not the reverse. In, in the world that we live in today, you may have heard this expression, ill will. And that ill will is simply willpower, which is the causal body, which is the sixth dimension, which is the human soul. That's willpower. But ill will is when ill will is in service, when willpower is in service of the ego. And you have that moment in The Lion King when Simba awakens and, and, and he, 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 he sees, he meets his innermost. He meets Mufasa, the spirit of Mufasa, who accuses him of forgetting himself because he had been living the, the good life, the high life, Akakuna Matata. He, he, had, he, had, he had accepted this carefree, you know, nothing matters, you know, no worries. Yeah, it's okay, man. There are a lot of self-styled spiritual people like that. You will find many, many people who have a very twisted and self-serving interpretation of going with the flow. Where, hey, man, it's all good, it's all cool, whatever, you know, just, yeah, whatever, right? Like, that's not what going with the flow is, right? That's, that's, that's whitewater rafting in a group of 30 people in one of those round rafts, right? That goes every which way and spins every which way. You cannot... You cannot whitewater kayak. You cannot shoot the rapids with that kind of attitude. You will die. You will die. Certainly if you shoot any kind of serious rapids. You have to go with the flow, but you have to read the river. And you have to know what you're doing. You have to pay attention. You have to be present. You can't just be going along for the ride. And, hey, man, it's all cool. It's all good. Whatever, you know. You can't be the dude. Right? Jeff Bridges' character. From, uh, I can't even remember what the movie is. And, again, this preparedness. Knowing yourself, you are not your mind, you are not your heart, you are not your body. You are the human soul in its infancy. And so your heart, your mind, and your body are servants of that soul. Does your heart, your mind, and your body work for you right now? Or do you work for your heart, your mind, and your body? It's a tough question. It's a question only you can answer for yourself. But it's a question. It's one of the 
several questions that we've posed today, which you have to answer. Because all of this, all of this comes into this question of preparedness. And the last, we can use words like servant and serve and everything else. And we can use words like allowing and And if those words work for you, then by all means, use them. But in our experience, the most powerful singular expression of preparedness, of readiness, to accept one's mission and one's destiny and to commit fully and completely to the path that is laid before us by our Divine Mother. The word that we prefer is surrender. And The reason why we choose that particular word is because that allows us to be motivated and pulled in extraordinary ways, in extraordinary directions. And sometimes in ways which could very easily be interpreted by many others as going against the flow. You see, the problem with the flow expression or the, the flow argument is what we tried to express at the beginning when we described um, the nature of natures and how there are different and opposing flows in our life. <clears throat> and that it, it can be very easy to confuse the two, especially when we are dealing with the forces of ego, which are actively trying to confuse us and are actively trying to conflate those two flows. And there are times when the flow of our life is in direct resistance to another natural flow in our life. 
and we might be surrounded by loved ones, by family, by friends, by acquaintances, by teachers, by confidants, by, by instructors, you name it, who are all telling us to go a certain way, who are all encouraging us and pushing us to go a certain way. And yet there's something inside of us which, which is telling us, no, we, we, we can't go that way. We have to go this way. And if we articulate that to anyone, they tell us we're crazy. So what do we do? And it is very easy for the mind to come and say, well, you got to go with the flow. Go with the flow. Look, this is the flow of your life. Look, it's this, it's that, it's that. Look, it's so it's the flow. Look, everybody around you even tells you it's you got to go with the flow. And they're all telling you the way the flow is going. So why do you want to go off and do this stupid, crazy thing over here? Why would you go go against the flow? This is the challenge with just the go with the flow mentality or the go with the flow allegory. We have given you examples from our own life, including being in Japan. We went with the flow to get to Japan. In Japan, we very much went against the flow. Certainly, we went against the flow of what is normal or what was normal for a foreigner, an English speaker in Japan, and an English teacher in Japan, and what all the other English teachers did, by and large. We went against that flow. We went with a different flow. We just went with the same flow that took us to Japan in the first place. But then, and we've told you this story before, that flow presented us with this incredible opportunity. And the, the, the mother of our girlfriend offered us a job, offered us her daughter's hand in marriage, offered us a door and entryway into the family business, a private school, and basically laid out on a silver platter uh, an entire life for us in the country that we adored with an adoring wife, with an, ador with an adoring mother-in-law, and our own private school in the spiritual heart of Japan. It was all laid out for us on a silver platter. We could see our entire life stretched out before our eyes. And all of that, all of that arrived, just arrived. Why? Because we had been going with the flow. So all of that was part of this flow. And we turned it down. And we said no. Respectfully, as, as respectfully as we could, without trying, without our uh, girlfriend's mother losing face and, and um, losing her honor, you know, cognizant of the cultural significance of what was taking place and what was being offered to us. 
this go with the flow thing, there's a catch. And that is that the tests the temptations. Jesus, too, when he went out to the desert, was tempted by the devil three times. Moses and the Israelites, the Israelites were tempted in the devil by the serpents biting at their heels. The flow brings into our life tests and challenges and ordeals. And it is in those moments that we precisely must have the capacity of discernment and recognize what is taking place and what is the true flow. And it's not always the path of least resistance. We have to comprehend the Tao, the yin and the yang. We have to comprehend the, the law of the pendulum and we have to comprehend the Tao. It's, things are not quite as simple as just go with the flow all the time. And you know this, you know this, intuitively you know this, and from your, from your own experiential knowledge, you know this. That every now and then the flow brings you to a fork in the road a turning point, a T-junction, a, a, a milestone, a test, a trial, or, or an ordeal. And usually at those crossroads, you know, like the Monty Python movie, Holy Grail, there's the Black Knight waiting at the crossroads to challenge us, or the troll waiting at the bridge, waiting under the bridge. There's always a test. There's always, or there's always, uh, we have to pay the ferryman. We have to pay the toll. There's, we have to pay the price. It takes a toll on us, this going with the flow. There are bridges we need to cross. There are crossroads we need to get. And there are rapids we need to navigate and maneuver. Because sometimes the flow will take us over a waterfall to our doom. So, yes, it's, it's not quite so simple. So we must be prepared for that. And that preparation from our experience, that preparation comes from having an experience in which we accept once and for all the following statement as absolute objective fact. I am not qualified. I am not qualified. I this personality, this mind, these emotions, this body, I am just a 3D spacesuit. I am not qualified. 
to be making any decisions. I am not qualified. I do not, I am not the source of longing. I am not the source of destiny. I am only a follower. I am only a servant of destiny. I am not a God, let alone a soul. I'm just a servant. I'm just a vessel. So again, we're bringing in humility. We're bringing in emptiness because that's what a vessel is. Empty. And what we want it to be filled with is our being, our innermost. And all the resources of our being and all the gifts of our Divine Mother, which do what? Which nurture our human soul. So from our experience and from our perspective, to surrender ourselves, to, to, to surrender the I, to surrender the self, is the ultimate act of preparation. It's to, it's the ultimate act of, of, of self-actualization and self-realization because without it, neither of those things are possible. Neither is illumination, neither is true knowledge. And if you read into the word itself surrender like if you use take the 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 affix uh sir like surname surname means last name or family name it's either the foundational name. Now, if you click at surface, but if you look at surname and you say it's the family name or it's the last name, then surrender means something else renders first. Or surrender as that which is you take a back seat. You render last. Someone else, everyone else renders before you. So it's a very humbling, humiliating process. And also when you surrender, you you have to give up everything that you have everything that you own everything that you are you empty your cup and like a newborn child in their mother's arms you give yourself completely to the nurturing and the love and the care of your divine mother. We all we 
we all want to express our love and appreciation for our mothers on today, on Mother's Day. And that's good. To go with the flow is good. But to surrender to one's path is better. And to surrender to one's divine mother, including all of one's, all of her discipline, all of her teaching, all of her hard lessons, which come in the way of tests, trials, and ordeals. is essential, is essential. And you see, all of this focuses on that which we need to know. Because what we need to know will come to us. When we are ready to receive it. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't study. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, seek guidance and knowledge and wisdom from books or courses or lectures, right? That's not, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we just sit in meditation and we receive and receive and receive. And, you know, that's, that's, we don't want to be uh, extremist in our approach. To anything but what it does mean is just recognizing the truth is that we're not qualified and to be receptive and to be awake and conscious and always surrendering moment by moment to the will of our innermost being to our innermost God And we are most receptive to the guidance and the the self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek, that which we need to know in the moment we need to know it. That those intuitions, that guidance, those gut feelings that we need in the precise moment that we need them, right? When we're at a crossroads, when we're in the middle of a test, when we're in the middle of a crisis, And we're being tested and our faith and our discipline and our loyalty and our integrity and our worthiness to receive is being tested in that moment. We are in the best attitude of reception when we are in a state of surrender. As Christ said on the cross, oh God, may this cup pass before me, but not my will, but thine be done. No, well, he didn't say that on the cross. He said that in the garden the night before the crucifixion. 
when he was praying in the garden. And there he was with his empty cup. And he knew what that cup was about to be filled with. It was about to be filled with his own blood. Drawn from his mortal flesh. By so many lashes across the back. And by the spear of destiny in his side. Which the wound from which would flow blood and water and fill the cup. And so there he is in the garden praying, may this cup pass before me. Yes, I am an empty cup. Yes, he's saying I'm an empty cup, but geez, for the, for once, may, may, you know, may, may, you, may, may the, 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 the great servant of the great Somalia of the universe pass by without filling up my cup because this time it's going to be filling my cup with my own blood. That was what was left of his humanity and his fear and his trepidation and his anxiety and what any of us would have felt in that situation, although except that we would have felt it far more, far greater far worse because Christ remembered Jesus remembered but not my will but thine be done so he says there I am an empty cup and I see it I I and I know it's going to be filled with my own blood and Lord you know hear my prayer if 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 it's possible then let this cup pass by this time let the let let it not you know but not my will but thine be done no matter what i surrender i am your servant that is the only path to illumination and it is certainly the only path to christification jesus showed us the way And that doesn't mean that we're all destined to be nailed to to the cross. But what it does mean is that if that man was willing to go through that and surrender to that in order to fulfill his destiny to be the master of masters for this planet, what are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do? Knowing that you aren't being asked to do anything of the sort. You're not going to be nailed to two pieces of wood. You will be asked to do some far far less intense, but no less important in the grand scheme of things. Fulfillment of your destiny, self-actualization and self-realization. So are you prepared to surrender to it? And if you are not, then you are not prepared to receive. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. 
Does anyone have any uh, questions or comments? Uh, if not, uh, there's according to uh, uh, StreamYards here, there's only two people watching now. So uh, I think most people have tuned out. Um, so thank you for uh, coming by and we hope to see you again next week. We're working hard on the uh, projects, the uh, videos that we're working on. So perhaps if all goes well this week, then we'll be in a position to uh, premiere some stuff or show some stuff next weekend. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, for all of you, thanks for, um, uh, for those of you who are still with us, uh, thanks for popping by. And uh, we hope to see you again next week. Inverential peace.